like being afraid of disability because it is part of our life. You know, we're always going to be elderly and we're going to see less, like hear less, or of course, like walk slowly. You know, it's part of our life. So we should think about the value of diversity, the value of disability. And this is closely related to what you asked me, you know, you know education and the access to a decent job. Stick Your Neck Out, the weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. The naked eye is unreliable as many disabilities are invisible. Nonetheless, people with disabilities are represented in all age groups, genders, ethnicities, and socioeconomic groups. Welcome to the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. Welcome to Stick Your Neck Out. In Latin America, the majority of people with disability are among the poorest of the poor, and their progress toward economic and social development is very slow and uncertain. My guest today, Lorena Julio, is co-founder and director of the Foundation Comparlante, a non-profit organization that promotes the development and inclusion of persons with disabilities in Latin America. Welcome, Lorena. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. I'm super happy to be here and sharing our experience from Comparlante, from Argentina. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you. In Latin America, there are at least 50 million people with disability. That's the equivalent of around 10% of the region's population. What's the biggest problem that people with disability face in our region? I can say the biggest problem is invisibility. Because it seems that uh, this uh, 15% of the population does not exist. You know, for the politicians, for the citizens. I always try to explain this through the example of There is a theory regarding invisibility. With it, I will try to make it simple. The main idea is due to the lack of accessibility in the environment, let's say ramps or the proper roads or accessible transportation, most of the people with disability stay at home. And the society cannot see them because they are at home. And because they cannot see them, they don't become a social problem, you know? That's why, because this invisibility, they never get to the political agenda. So it's a huge problem because we have not a proper public policies regarding disability. So let me tell you some um, statistics offered by the World Bank. In Latin America, only the 20% of the children with disabilities, access to education. The 20%. So imagine the negative impact that it has on the adult life. Around the 90%, 90% of the adults with disabilities are out of the workforce. They cannot access to a decent job. So what this means? This means more dependency on their families and also dependency on the government. So it is a huge problem, you know, the invisibility yeah. that people with disabilities suffer here in Latin America. Invisibility, I mean exclusion, marginalization. That's why it is important to have these kind of spaces to talk about their needs and also, most important, 
the rights of people with disabilities. What are the particular contours of the struggles surrounding disability? Well, let's say there are 85 million people with disabilities in Latin America. And the biggest problem, in my understanding, is the barriers that they face every day. Barriers can be attitudinal, you know, when people uh, have no empathy regarding disability. I mean, this can be seen in a non-accessible environment, for example, you know? This is a huge barrier, environmental barrier in Latin America because transportation, because public buildings. When I mean a public buildings means educational buildings, no? Schools. Schools are not accessible for people with disabilities. So most of them cannot access to uh, education. And when I'm talking about education, I'm talking about a human right, a fundamental right. The right that we all have just because we are humans. At the same time, what I feel that is nowadays one of the biggest barriers is accessibility regarding internet. The 90% of the content on internet is not accessible for persons with disabilities. For example, a blind person cannot access to an educational platform, cannot access to, I don't know, doing uh, shopping. Nowadays, due to the COVID pandemic, we all used to do shopping online, but the platforms, most of the shops online are not accessible for a blind person. I always use this example of a bank account because imagine like if you must give your password, you know, your bank account password to someone else to manage your bank account. This is about dignity, you know? Imagine like giving your, I don't know, your email password to someone else to check your email. So all these things, again, with the, this COVID pandemic, it's important to think about how can we change the, the levels of accessibilities on our websites. For example, if you're a government, you should do it because it's a right for citizens to access to information and to access to communication. It's a right. Yes, of course. But if you are a company, you know, a business, you're a business person, you want to sell more. Okay, so you can have uh, this 15% of the population, it can be your client, you can sell more. Of course, what Pomparlante, my organization promotes is that accessibility is a right. During these, these days, I feel like the 2020 uh, show us the importance of accessibility because I feel that the, um, last year, most of the people felt frustrated in front of a computer, not only people with disabilities, yeah, yes, like yes, elderly right. people, you know, because you feel like disesperated when you cannot access to this whole new platform to work, to study, to connect with your family, friends, you know, so it's not only important for people with disability. For people with disabilities, it's needed, but it's useful for all of us. So, comparante is a game of words. You are mixing compartir, which means to share, and palante, which is kind of speaker. Am I getting it right? Yes. Okay. What's the story behind comparante? So, the story behind comparante 
it's the idea of making education accessible for blind people. Our first program was an audiobook library. In 2014, I was working in Washington, D.C., at the Organization of American States, and I was surrounded by people from different countries. So um, at that time, I saw a Braille book, you know, Braille, yes. the system mm -hmm. that blind people use to read. And I say, oh, this use a huge amount of paper. What can we do to use new technologies to make information and education accessible for blind people? Of course, I'm not saying that we should like stop using Braille, but I'm talking just to use the technologies to make a bridge, you know, because in, as I told you, you know, in Latin America, like uh, blind people have uh, difficulties to access to education. At that time, I asked to my friends in Washington to record audiobooks. And I said, you can record anything, a lesson, a note in the newspaper, uh, a magazine, a poem. So my friend from Brazil read an audiobook in Portuguese, uh, my friend from Canada in French, and let's move on. And uh, we got like 400 audiobooks, <laughs> and that was great. Yeah, that that's awesome. Sounds a, great. Yeah, because at the same time, that works like an awareness campaign regarding blind people and access to education. It was not, the most important thing was not the audiobook. It was like, okay, have you ever think about how blind people access to a book? What are the, like, the opportunities that they effectively have to access to education? So, yeah, that was our first program. We, we, feel, we feel that it was a successful one. But then we understand that there are a lot of platforms that already offer audiobooks. So we are not competitive, you know, that's why I'm saying <laughs> so we yeah, have yeah. like 400 audiobooks. It's just to, okay, let's think about how, what can we do? You know, sometimes when people, I don't know, meet a blind person in a corner in the street, usually they don't know how to behave. Yeah, Should that's I right. take the arm? How can I help them? But if I say to you, could you please read something and record it on your phone? All the people say yes. It was easy to engage people in supporting a blind person, no? So um, that was the first approach in what can we do, like to have a positive and proactive attitude towards blind people. Okay, and how do you come from doing audiobooks to Compalante? What changed in your, what makes you change the idea? How do you get to the idea to do exactly Compalante the way you are doing it? In 2015, I met Sebastián Flores. He's a visually impaired person. We met at the Summit of Presidents in Panama. And as I told you, I was working at the OAS. And he came to me and, it's, and he said, Lorena, I want to present a project to make the Organization of American State accessible. And I said, oh, my God, that is exactly what we need. <laughs> and I thought to him, okay, I'm, I'm trying to start an organization, an NGO, a non-profit organization to work for accessibility and to make uh, education accessible for blind people. And he said, okay, let's work together. So when Sebastian arrived to the organization, 
wow, it was a, an important uh, moment in our organization because, you know, you, I don't have any disability, no? No one in my family or my friends, no one. It's only the desire to do something good, you know, to change the world, to, to change the world. <laughs> and working with Sebastian, he really opened my eyes, you know, because I can have like all the desire and the good attitude to do something. But the reality is I don't know what people with disability really, really face every day or what they need. So Sebastian says, okay, Lorena, this idea of the audiobook is really good. But the problem is that all the platforms that we can, or the website that we can access to the audiobooks are not accessible. So we have the products there, but the website is not accessible. So how can we access to that information? So he was the one who put into the, you know, on the table, the idea, of, okay, what we should do first is work on digital accessibility or web accessibility. So we start to make a research on the, bueno, international conventions on disability, okay. the UN, the OAS, you know, and also the, uh, the national, at the national level. And we found that there's a lot of good really good policies, uh, laws regarding uh, web accessibility, you know, which are in line with those international instruments. But the reality is that in Latin America, they have no proper implementation. Yep. So we do, we do have the law. That's a reality. We do have the law, really good ones, but they are not properly implemented. So that's why we start working on a awareness campaign, different kind of awareness campaign to make the people understand why it's so important to implement these accessibility laws. And I, I believe that the last year, because of the COVID, was a impactful awareness campaign regarding to like create empathy, you know, to think about because yesterday, the last year we, in a way, we were in the shoes of those who suffer, you know, this uh, lack of uh, web accessibility. Thinking on people with disability, but last year we all faced that uh, lack of accessibility. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Last year was uh, was really complicated. Lorena, you are a human rights activist. You worked for the Argentinian government as head of press in the Secretariat of Human Rights in Buenos Aires. You were working in the States and, I mean, you, you say it before, So you had all the time like this kind of, I will say, this secure workplaces. Um, <laughs> how come you took the decision to leave this security you had to begin an NGO and to fight for the rights of people with disabilities? <laughs> Because I don't believe in politics and I don't believe anymore in diplomacy. That's the truth. You know, after working for five years at the government in Argentina, I moved to the Washington DC, feeling that, okay, now I'm gonna work on impactful programs in Latin America. And we designed really good program and project, but nothing happened because nobody cared about the marginalized. That's the reality. Luckily, in, in Spanish, we have two different concepts, which is marginal and marginado, which I, I don't think we have it in English, But it's, it's a different because people do not born like marginalized. Someone put in that place, you know? 
Sandwich yeah. means yeah. all of us. You know, if we look to the other side, we are we are doing something. You know, that's what that's what I'm trying to say. So yeah, after working at the international arena, I saw that okay, we signed a lot of agreements, take a lot of pictures, say we are going to do something, and they don't do nothing. You know, and being there, I saw that there are resources to do that. You know, but the problem is <laughs> there is no intention. You know, it's an attitude. They don't care. And that's why I decided to like quit my job and start my own organization. Okay. How did you become a human rights activist in the first place? Have you always been an activist kind of? Yeah. Yeah. I, I always work for the for the more the excluded people from the university. I was always like related working as a volunteer in different organizations. So yeah, I consider myself and human rights advocate since I was a teenager. This is, I, I feel it's an attitude, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. Yeah, definitely. Like, while I was working at the Human Rights Ministry, the last year I was pretty much involved in the program of women victim of violence. There was a case of a deaf woman who was raped. And she tried to go to the police and make a report. And at the police station, no one speaks sign language. The same happened to her when she went to the hospital. I feel that that was, that was uh, um, the moment that I decided to, okay, I, I want to do something for the persons with disabilities. These things like, where uh, I don't know how to say, like a mark in my life, no? Okay, I, I get the point. Let's discuss the link between disability and the so-called working class. I'd like to talk about the way the disabled are left out of working class struggles because they are so deeply excluded from employment itself that, um, you know, they can't go further. What's your thesis on this issue? Uh, well, what we try to promote is... Think about the value of disability and know the cost of disability. What I feel is all the people, like the, let's say, regular citizens, see the, the disability, the things that people with disability cannot do instead of looking at the possibilities, you know? So that's the first barrier, you know? See, if you are a teacher and you only focus in what the kid with disability cannot do, that's a problem. You are building the first barrier. That's why it's so important to change our mindset regarding uh, disability. Only the 6% of the population born with a disability. Most of the people like after illness or an accident. So disability is part of our life. And I, I always like enjoy, <laughs> enjoy while like, doing conference. I always ask, Please raise your hand, those who identify your, uh, yourself as a person with disability. Like a little percentage of the audience raise the hand. But the reality is like half of the auditorium always use like glasses, spectacles, you know? So, and I laugh and I say, <laughs> okay, if you take off your spectacles, can you read? Can you drive your car? So, okay, let's stop like being afraid of disability because it is part of our life, you know? We're always going to be elderly and we're going to see less. Like, 
hear less or of course like walk slowly you know it's part of our life so we should think about the value of diversity the value of disability instead of the cost and this is closely related what you asked me you know you know education and the workforce you know the the access to a decent job Mm. I think the problem is that people don't really identify with disability. You know, they see also disability as something like mm -hmm. it's really bad and it cannot happen to me. And and everybody forgets that that's that can happen to everyone. You know, Latin America is a very complex region composed of more than 20 countries, more than 20 different realities, different governments, economics, and more than 20 diverse cultures and many other factors. How are you holding up? I guess it's, it's, it has not been and and it will not be an easy task to address the issues of people with disabilities in the continent. Well, luckily, our team is made by different professionals from different countries. So I'm from Argentina. Sebastian, the co-founder, is from Ecuador. Our team from the web development are in Chile. Uh, the designers are in Costa Rica. So this is the way that we get into this craziness, which is, as you say, that is 20 countries that, yeah, Latin America is crazy. But yeah, we are happy to having our team, uh, young professionals from different parts of the region. So it gives us always the opportunity to learn and understand the needs and the realities of the region, which is, of course, different from Europe or even the Americas, you know, the yeah, totally United totally. States. Yeah, the United mm -hmm. States. Yeah, yeah, the United States. Let's talk po uh, political correctness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I yeah, actually yeah. wanted to ask you, I have seen the, the team is spread all over Latin America. You work with people from all over the continent and you travel a lot. How comes? Because these people are committed with our values because we share values. We ask the people from Chile, okay, do, can you like, develop an accessible website? And they say, yes. And we also want to keep working with you. We want to be part of your team. The same happened with our friend in Costa Rica. She started like, working with us because she's an expert on universal design. And then she decided, okay, what can we do to sensitize the population about disabilities. I really want to work with kids. And she led a program in, in our organization, which is called My War, My Way. It's a contest for kids. We design some characters and kids from six years old to uh, 13 must write a short story. And this was a really impactful program. The first edition was in 2017, and people from five countries, children from five countries of Latin America, participate. I say it was successful because we work with the community, with the schools, the parents, the whole community was involved in this project. And last year, due to the lockdown, we say, okay, what can we do to keep working? Because last year we couldn't like do presentations on conference at school. What can we do to reconnect with them? So we did the second edition of the contest and kids from 
15 countries participate. So let me tell you that this online kind of life was a huge opportunity for us to spread the message of inclusion and equality in Latin America through my War My Way, through this program, which our beautiful Beatriz from Costa Rica lead. That's awesome. That sounds sounds very great. I mean, Compalante have demonstrated very well that accessibility, even though needed for some, is useful for all. Having in mind that sooner or later, most people face certain discapacities. How is the response of the decision-making authorities to see the importance of that? Do you think there's progress in taking priorities regarding accessibility, be it in public spaces and online services? No, not at all. A week ago, I participated in a prep talks, which are some kind of online summit. It's a preparation for the NET Summit of Presidents, which is going to be uh, happen in the United States. And they gave us like four documents, uh, like the preparation documents. And disability, the word disability was not included in any of the documents. <laughs> and every year we participate in the uh, General Assembly of the OAS. And every year we like propose statements and we write and present the declaration of the people with disability of Latin America. And these people read the paper, say, yes, yes, yes. And as I told you, nothing happened. So you're not, you're not really getting, getting support from any government at all? No, it's quite hard because we sit, we talk, they act like they understand. But after the meeting, nothing happened. And we have a lot of agreements, signing and a lot of pictures saying, okay, we are going to do this product. <laughs> we are going to develop these projects. No, the only successful program that I can talk about is last year on December, we present a online accessible website, which is called Igual Que Tu. It's like you. And, and is a website that we made with the United Nations to promote the sexual rights of women and youth with disabilities. That made us really proud because it's, you know, usually sexuality is a taboo. Imagine talking about the sexuality of persons with disabilities. So we feel really proud that we at least <laughs> made this website an accessible one. I invite you all to visit it. We have like videos uh, with title and sign language. So it is accessible for the deaf community. We have, um, of course, uh, all the documents are accessible. The website is accessible. And the most important thing is we start talking about the sexuality of persons with disabilities in Latin America. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you made it. Can we talk a bit about what I call the ESD triangle, meaning education, stereotypes, and disability? Stereotypes on education. In my experience, the, the problem is that the teachers and the educational system is not ready to include people with disabilities. You know, it's quite frustrating because we always talk with, with teachers. And I, I told you, we 
always do conferences on schools and try to make some exercises with the teachers and the students and to make them think about, you know, to put them in the shoes of the children who cannot access to, to education and think about which barriers are, I don't know, attitudinal and which barriers are um, from infrastructure or let's say from the... I always feel that there's something to do also with the families of the kids with disabilities, you know? Because as I say, nobody trained the teacher in how to teach to the kid with any specific uh, need. Also, no one teach parents to be open to search. I don't know. I feel, um, uh, yeah, there are some. Uh, yeah, I, I know the frustration. I, I, I can understand the frustration you have because it's like. Yeah, they feel like, like abandoned. I don't know how to, like, what's the specific word, but who support the parents? You know, they have no, they have no clue in how to behave those first years, you know? Uh, of life of the kids so it's it's quite difficult of course i believe that the government must have a yeah it's a fundamental role the government in that two cases no with the parents and also with the educational system yeah yeah but we're still talking about of course uh, education in a in a really big scale i mean we're talking about governments we're talking about nations what do you think any of us like like a normal person could do to help improving accessibility for all i mean what can i do or what can the listeners do to to improve accessibility for everyone well first is being aware of the reality being aware of who lives in your neighbor and who you can support you know i'm i'm not uh, saying oh uh, you will present a public policy program, you know, and you will do a diagnostic on the educational system. No, no, no. We can all have a positive attitude towards disability. We can do like small things to change the life, the person with disability who are surrounding us. I always use some examples, which are, I don't know, easy to understand. Mainly, I work with professionals, no? Or professionals in the communications, professionals in the educational system. And <laughs> the, the example that I use is, I don't know, if you're a teacher, stop asking uh, your students to, like, present the works on Time New Romans 12. Nobody can access to that uh, size of the font. Please stop using the size 12, you know? <laughs> so if you change it to 13 or 14, like a lot of people can access to that information, yeah? You know that the 10% of the male population, so that's a lot of men, 10% of the male population are colorblind. And we keep using red for everything. You know, I don't know. If you are fulfilling a document on internet, the highlight in red, which is wrong. So if the 10% of the male population cannot see the red, let's stop using red. 
or the GPS, when we use the GPS in, in our phones, no? They show you the road in red or blue. Like, stop using red because they cannot see, no? Um, so what I mean with uh, small things that we can do, change the uh, size font. Stop using red. But most of the people uh, have no idea, have no clue. I mean, people do not discriminate because they want. People discriminate because they don't have information. It's the ignorance, it's the lack of information regarding disabilities what make people discriminate, you know? So sharing information, trying to be more open to diversity, that's a really good first step. Mm. Yeah, but there is also poverty. I mean, poverty and disability create a vicious circle that is difficult to break because of social barriers. Do you have any other association between disability and poverty beyond this affirmation? Well, in Comparlante, we have a program which is called Startup Ability, where we offer tools to uh, make persons with disability an entrepreneur. Because we really believe in entrepreneurship as a tool to create independence. Also, it's regarding to dignity. Every time I had conversation with the government people and we talk about the lack of access to a proper job, the importance, you know, on offering like effective tools, not just uh, oh, online workshops. If nobody can access to internet, you know, to a accessible platform, if you don't have a smartphone, if you don't have access to internet, how can you access to a workshop, you know? Sometimes it's yes, like, right. and, and for me, I believe that kind of actions from the government are violent. That's violence, you know? Mm -hmm. when, you, when you don't care about the specific needs or the adjustment that people with disabilities need, yeah, you are lying to the people. And, and, yeah, yeah. and, and you are being violent. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, we really believe in entrepreneurship. Yeah, as a tool that can change the situation of uh, poverty. But uh, let me tell you, we work one by one. We cannot like develop a, a, a program which is useful for all the people because, again, there's a lot of diversity uh, within disabilities. So we need to work one by one thinking about what can you do? What do you like to do? What is the need in your region, in your neighborhood, in your city? Because just because there is no, uh, I don't know, a shop, a candy shop in my corner, I will start a candy shop. No, that's, that's not the way that it works. So we work with persons with disabilities or parents of persons with disability. So to give them some notions of how to start a startup. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, let's break some some bad health myth about living with disability now i cannot say one myth what i believe is there are a lot of stereotypes regarding people with disabilities and these stereotypes are general let me tell you a story when i was in india in 2017 i was taking a course in kantari in Trivandrum. there were two girls around 20, 25 years old. And one girl 
ask to another girl, the, the second one, she, she is blind. The first one asked, do you have menstruation? And I was, come on. So what's no the relation? Way. Yes. So what's the, re how, how can you believe that there is any relation between menstruation and blindness? You know, I, I thought, okay. And what if this girl saw a blind pregnant woman also? <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, yeah. So how can we talk about sexuality if this girl, the non-disabled one, like think that there's any relation between uh, menstruation and blindness. So again, there's a lot of ignorance regarding disability and this ignorance promotes uh, stereotypes, negative stereotypes, of course. So I cannot like mention one, but I feel it's like in general regarding the main idea of disability that has a really negative impact in our societies. I, I don't know, since Cuba had uh, its revolution and we, we had like, I mean, we have our problems, of course, but we have a lot. I mean, they did a lot of great work to to try to help people with disability, to, to, to create more awareness in the country about people with disabilities. That's, that's a normal thing. So my question will be, what are the, the main stereotypes you relate in Latin America about people with disabilities? Cool. I believe that regarding to love, <laughs> yeah, that impressed me a lot, you know, because this seems like, okay, because this person is deaf, she cannot have a family or she cannot, yeah, be in love with someone else. There's always, of course, there are a lot of stereotypes I mean, regarding daily things that they cannot do. But what surprised me more is regarding to sexuality. Yeah. So, and I, and I always ask me, why not? You know, last year, last year, no, in 2019, we developed a photo exhibition called We Feel. And We Feel it was a photo exhibition where we portrayed people with disabilities doing activities, like daily activities. Yeah. And for example, The main photo of that exhibition is a portrait of Lelio. He is a blind man and he's a radio teacher. So he have a radio show and he's also a teacher at the journalist university. So he teach radio. And when people saw Lelio's photo, you know, how can a blind person like do a radio show? And I say, why not? See, he is blind. He's not deaf, you know, so that, that's no problem with that. So, and also uh, there's a picture of him like playing football, you know. So how can a blind person, you know, in Argentina, football is like a passion. And we say, okay, it's as easy as like having a ball uh, with sound, you know. So it's really easy to make an integration for playing football just using an object which has some kind of sound but yes there were like uh, really <laughs> amazing surprising faces while visiting this exhibition yeah when we show this person with disability working doing sports cooking 
yeah, there's a wheelchair user in a manifestation. Uh, there were some pictures of a girl with one armless, and she's a teacher dancer. She teaches uh, urban rhythms, and she's beautiful. And when you saw uh, Guadalupe dancing, you feel like, oh, she's perfect, and what she's doing is art. And you never, believe me, you never, never see on her that there's an arm which is left, no? No, you never see that. You see an artist doing art. So that was uh, beautiful, really, really beautiful to put these photos in front of people who are afraid of disabilities, no? As you say, I believe that, yeah, people fear about disability because they feel that it's like close to die. How many times did you listen people saying, oh, if I get blind, I'll die? No, no, you're not going to die. Believe me, there's a lot of blind people living around you. Yeah. You are going to discover, you're going to discover a new world. I mean, you're really going to see. <laughs> I I don't I don't like when people say if if something like that happens to me I'm gonna die or whatsoever I think it's too dramatic and also I don't like when they say oh they are so special they are angels no like stop talking <laughs> about people with disability like they are all angels no you know some always happen with people with Down syndrome oh yeah they talk about like people with Down syndrome like babies. Oh, la, 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 la. no, stop acting like that. They are adults. They are persons like you. Stop talking to them like children all their life. Like imagine like the idea of a person with Down syndrome having sex. <gasps> Horror. But that's the reality that happened. They also have desires, the same desire as us. And they also have the right to have like uh, sexuality in plenitude. That's, that's right. Lorena, any final thoughts on representation of people with disabilities? Oh, I cannot talk in representation of anybody. <laughs> But yeah, let's try to like be more empathetic, you know, to like change our mindset, to be more open. Like, let's try to like create a better world for all, to see the value of diversity. That's my last statement. Thank you very much for this time. Thank you, Lorena, for sharing your thoughts and experience with us. And there we are at the end of the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. My guest today, human rights advocate Lorena Julio. Lorena is co-founder of the Comparlante Foundation. The foundation understands that raising awareness about the different disabilities promotes equity. You'll find more information at comparlante.com. Every Tuesday, you'll find the stories of the Cantari alumni and the Giraffe heroes, the stories of people sticking their necks out on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, of course, you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. If there is a friend, a family member, an organization, or someone you know who is doing a great work in the community, someone sticking the neck out, Just nominate them as a Giraffe Hero or tell us about them. Come and visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. 
Next week, I'm talking with Olotusin Ruth from Nigeria. Our talk is going to be about domestic violence. Tosin empowers women and girls who are victims of domestic violence and come from poor communities by teaching them in the art of changing trash into treasure. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguilar-Duranyona and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. But more importantly, I hope you join us again next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation.